That chat is brought to you by Walters. Watch UFC 288 this Saturday night at Walters, just across the street from the ballpark as UFC Bantamweight champion Aljamain Sterling takes on Henry Cejudo. Go to waltersdc.com slash events to reserve your space now and receive a $5 beer wall card. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now a swing and a fly ball sliced toward the left field corner. Long run for Fletcher into the corner, and this ball is gone. Goodbye into the Arizona bullpen. It's an opposite field home run for Luis Garcia. 310 hitter from the left side. Hits this one hard toward left center field. Call going back, still going back. Call's going to look up, and this one is gone. Home run number five for Corbin Carroll, and this ties the game at one. Switch hitting Marte, hitting from the left side. Hits this one the other way. Call is there to his right, makes the catch. He'll throw in, tagging from third, and coming in is Moreno. And the Diamondbacks lead it by a count of 3-1 to one on the sacrifice fly by Cattell Marte. And welcome to Nat Chat for Saturday, May 6th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So MLB's new schedule has uh, fewer division games, and so that has the Nats making a second trip out west in less than a month. That first trip out west was part of the Nats' 4-11 and 11 start to the season. This uh, second trip out west has come at a time in which the Nats are playing a lot better, but uh, this uh, second trip out of West did not get off to a good start. A 3-1 loss at the Arizona Diamondbacks late night on Friday night in game one of a three-game series. Nats now 13-19. and Their three-game winning streak is over. Josiah Gray's run of five consecutive good or at least solid starts is over. Although, as we've talked about with the not-so-great starts from Mackenzie Gore, if this is the worst of things, we certainly can live with that. Gray on Friday night, three runs in five innings. Uh, hitting was the problem for the Nats on Friday night. Merrill Kelly was the problem for the Nats on Friday night, Mark. Yeah, I mean, Al, they just, it's funny. I thought to myself, okay, Luis Garcia hits a first inning home run. The roof's open here. The ball really travels well. And I'm thinking, okay, this might actually be a night when they put a few balls in the air and, and watch it fly. And boy, wouldn't that be nice for a change. And then uh, the problem is you can't hit it out if you don't even make contact. And Merrill Kelly was just not allowing them to make contact. And he's a good pitcher. I'm not going to take anything away from him. 10 strikeouts in seven innings. But you would have liked to see them just get the bat on the ball a little bit more because this is a lineup. If there's one thing they can do, 
It's make contact. And so when Cabert Ruiz is striking out three times in a game, that says to me something weird's going on, whether it's just how good Kelly was or just how off some of these guys were not seeing the ball well because we're used to them scoring one run in a game, but not necessarily in this manner in which just the simple act of making contact was a huge challenge for them. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of the games in which the Nats have not scored many runs, we have seen base runners. And, you know, we've seen them go like, you know, three for 13 with runners in scoring position. The Nats on Friday night, 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. Two at-bats the entire game with runners in scoring position. Just the one run, just four hits, the Garcia homer and three singles. Uh, The Nats worked just one walk. And yeah, I mean, it it was about as ho-hum of an offensive game as we have seen from the Nats so far this season. There's no doubt that Merrill Kelly was excellent. One run in seven innings, 10 strikeouts, like you said, only issued one walk, only gave up four hits. And boy, did he pound the zone 92 pitches, 63 strikes versus 29 balls. And I know that that's something that Davey Martinez talked about in his postgame session with you guys. I mean, Kelly was up there throwing one strike after another. And that's about as good as a an opposing starting pitcher has looked in terms of Nats games this season. Sure. And they've seen some pretty good ones already this season. So this one stacks right up there with any of them. Throw into all the quadrants of the plate, using a change up, using a cutter. I mean, he, he had it all going. But again, I just come back to in some of those situations, get the bat on the ball, try to make something happen. I even, as much as we've complained about this in certain situations with runners on base this year, I was actually looking for somebody, including Victor Robles, to try to get a bunt down. Maybe you could beat it out, get something going there. And um, there was just none of that in this game. They just really never had anything going. And after what, the second inning, they just didn't even have any chances to do anything. A couple of singles and nothing else. Yeah. Alex Call, 0 for 4. Joey Manessis, 0 for 4, three strikeouts. CJ Abrams, 0 for 3 with a strikeout. Victor Robles, 0 for 3 with a strikeout. And you mentioned K-Bert Ruiz, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. And that, of course, stands out because he is such a good, you know, bat-to-ball guy. He's not someone who strikes out a lot, and yet he struck out three times in this game. He did have a good defensive play in this game, so I do want to give him credit for that. But K-Bert Ruiz now, over his last four games, 0 for 16, no walks and four strikeouts. He clearly is not in a great place offensively right now. No, and he admitted it, and he's, he's a little frustrated. I thought it was interesting that he said he feels like it's a product of this. He's hit some balls hard and they're being caught and he's been denied some hits. And he thinks that that might be getting to him a little bit. And now he's trying to do too much all of a sudden and getting out of his element and not doing what he does well. And maybe you saw some signs of that in this one where he's expanding the zone. A couple of those strikeouts are pitches well out of the zone. That's not who he is. We know if the pitch is in the zone, he's going to make contact. But he doesn't need to be swinging out of the zone to that extent. So I did sense some frustration on his part and maybe some of the bad luck earlier in the week with hard contact that didn't produce hits is actually getting to him. And, you know, you can understand that, but it's about staying in the moment, staying in control and knowing who you are as a hitter. He's, you know, he swings a lot, but he's not a free swinger. He swings at pitches in the zone. And if you're him, you've got to make sure those pitches are in the zone before you even take a hack at it. Yeah. He's also not especially at this point in his career, a number three batter. And, you know, you see in this lineup, guys are being put in spots that they're just not made for right now. You know, like we know the deal with the Nats. It's not a great offensive team, certainly not from a power hitting standpoint. But like, you know, you look at this lineup. I mean, Caper Ruiz is your number three batter. Joey Manessis, your number four batter. I mean, Manessis's numbers for the season really are not very good, especially from an on-base percentage and slugging percentage standpoint. And so 
Yeah, I mean, you have guys right now who are very over-slotted in this lineup. And, you know, I don't know that there's much that you can do about that. I mean, I guess hopefully at some point you get to a point with a guy like, say, a C.J. Abrams, a Luis Garcia. And Garcia batted second and has been batting second lately. But where those guys can bat higher in the order. But for now, it feels like you have a lot of, like, square pegs and round holes in the lineup in terms of how guys are doing and who they are versus where they are batting in Davey Martinez's order. Yeah, and in a weird way, like their best hitters right now are the guys at the bottom. And there's a reason because they're supposed to be bottom of the order hitters. And certainly in Victor Robles' case, he's not supposed to be the best hitter on the team. And I don't think all of a sudden if he leads the team in OPS that Davey's going to bump him up to the number two or three spot. That's not who he is. It's more a reflection of the guys who were supposed to be the heart of this lineup just not delivering. And look, it's been a rough month plus for Joey Manessis. We haven't talked about it a lot. I know – there was still always this feeling of, hey, this guy, even if he's not all-star caliber, he looks like a professional hitter. Well, at times, he really has not looked like that so far this year. I'm not saying it's time to give up on it. I don't even know what you know or how many other options they have right now. But you'd like to start to see something. And this isn't him driving balls to the warning track. Remember early in the year that was happening and they're being caught? There's a lot of weak contact. There's a lot of pop-ups to the right side getting jammed. He has not looked like a, you know, really good major league hitter. And unfortunately, with what they have, he's going to keep hitting in the middle of the lineup because they don't have an alternative. But I'll be interested to see as we move forward, is there a point where Davey has to say, well, hang on a second, maybe we do need to drop this guy in the order, give him some days off here and there, because the production is not what anybody was hoping for. Yeah, so with Joy Manessis, we know the deal, right? Two excellent months at the end of last season. We're now into the second month of this season. You know, if we get to a point at which it's two bad months this season off two excellent months last season and the bad of Manessis outweighs the good, you do start to wonder if, okay, yeah, I mean, maybe the bad is more who he is as opposed to the good. I mean, you look at Joey Manessis' slash line now for this season, the batting average is 267. That's, you know, not terrible by any stretch. He has had a good number of singles, but the on-base percentage is at 294. The slugging is down to 336. And again, you know, he's routinely batting in that number four spot, like overslotted in the lineup. So with the Luis Garcia home run on Friday night, this was something. One run first, a one out opposite field solo homer just inside the left field foul pole, 344 feet per stat cast. Like that is about as short of a home run as you will ever see in a major league game, 344 feet. I feel like that caught everyone by surprise that that ball ended up being a home run. It was one of those off the bat that you're thinking, oh, that's kind of slicing. Oh, hey, maybe there's a chance going to fall in for a double. No, no, wait a minute. Hang on. It's over the fence. And that's why I said with the roof open here, I'm thinking, okay, if he's doing that, then that may be a good sign. If they just get the ball in the air, it might fly. They may be able to do something. Now, the funny thing is I thought the same thing might go the other way. <laughs> and Corbin Carroll got a hold of one off Josiah Gray, but then they didn't do anything else the rest of the night in terms of that against him either. So it was a little strange. I kind of expected a higher scoring game on both sides in this one, but good for Garcia to do that. He was one of the few who had some success with a couple of hits in the game. You know, Good to see him go the opposite field and, and do something with that. But in that moment, I would not have thought that would be the only run in the game the Nationals would score. No. And, you know, this does go down as another Nats game this season in which early in the game, the Nats do something. And then as the game goes on, uh, the Nats do not do much offensively.
Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer of the podcast, to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to these shouldn't be stressful. That's why you should look into the Game Time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. For a reason, get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Two balls, one strike. Bases loaded. The pitch from Gray. Rojas chops it high in the air left side. Abrams will not get... Oh, they're going to call him out at second base. The run scores. The Diamondbacks will take the lead 2-1 to one on the play. Abrams at the last minute after indecision took a stab with the foot to tag the base. That ball took a gigantic hop. Abrams 
They're going to call him out at second, Roberto Ortiz, and immediately the runner, Perdomo, put the hands to the side of his head, wanting them to challenge. I think the D-backs are going to challenge this. And I think they should. I, I, I think he's safe. And they do call him safe. So Josiah Gray was the national starting pitcher late night on Friday night. And, you know, I guess you would classify this as not a good outing for him. But still, it was three runs in five innings. So like I said at the top of the show, if this is the worst of what we get from Josiah Gray, I think we all can live with that. So three runs in five innings. He gave up seven hits, a home run, a double, and five singles. He issued two walks and a wild pitch. He did have six strikeouts, so that was good. And he did throw a lot of strikes. He just also threw a lot of pitches. Five innings, 92 pitches, 60 strikes versus 32 balls. He did give up that home run by Corbin Carroll that Mark referenced earlier. Uh, was an opposite field solo homer by Carroll with two outs and what ended up being a one-run Diamondbacks third. Just the second home run given up by Gray since he gave up three home runs in his first start of this regular season. And the other Josiah Gray moment that stands out, two-run fourth for the Diamondbacks, a throwing error by Josiah on an infield single by Gabriel Moreno. This was a comebacker to Gray. He initially looked at throwing to second base, then shifted to throwing to first base. I don't know if that was part of why the throw was off, but the throw was off. And the Diamondbacks wound up with runners on second and third with no outs. You know, in one respect, you could say, hey, Gray did a good job in that inning because that inning could have been a lot worse. I mean, second and third, nobody out only ends up being a two-run inning for the Diamondbacks, but tough defensive moment there. Not a great outing, but, you know, obviously not like a terrible outing either for Josiah Gray on Friday night. And he made that point, you were just saying, that maybe in the past that could have blossomed into a, a much worse inning than it was. So he was happy about that. And they just turned a little sloppy there, back-to-back plays where you have I think it caught him by surprise. He, he almost catches the line drive on the comebacker. He drops it and he thinks, well, that was so quick. I must have a play at second. He turns and realizes, no, there is no play. And by the time he did that, too much time had elapsed. And now he realized, oh, no, I have to rush the throw to first. And he made a bad throw. And he said, if he had a chance to do it all over again, he would have just taken the ball, taken a breath, stepped to first, get the out. In that situation, just get whatever out you can get. So he was kicking himself over that one. But you know, if that's the worst that he had and he still comes out of this allowing only the three runs in five innings and one of the other runs was on another kind of sloppy play by CJ Abrams as well, then yeah, that's not bad. He had good stuff in this game. His fastball was consistently 95. He topped out at 96 on a strikeout of Alec Thomas. That was nice to see both the velocity but also the confidence and success for him in that pitch. Now the home run came on a fastball. We know that was the issue last year, and that was one that leaked back over the plate. But hey, it's one solo homer. We can't expect him to be perfect at keeping the ball in the yard. So, you know, I thought he did fine. I think if it's a different situation, if it's a tie game or down one run, maybe Davey would have let him go another inning. And all of a sudden, we're saying quality starts, six innings, three runs. But at that point, I think Davey was like 92 pitches. Let's just not push this and move on to the next one. But, you know, he wasn't bad. He, he certainly was not bad, but he knows he can be better, especially just those little fine-tuning things that he takes pride in. And the Nats bullpen did end up being very effective in this game. No, Hunter Harvey did not pitch on Friday night. We did not get a fourth consecutive day of Hunter Harvey pitching, nor did we get a fourth consecutive day of Kyle Finnegan pitching. Davey uh, like, kind of laughed when he got asked about uh, those two guys during the postgame session. They were not pitching tonight, no. <laughs> I think there would have been a riot among Nationals fans, especially if Harvey had pitched for a fourth straight day. But you did get Erasmo Ramirez and Hobie Harris, and they were good. 
Erasmo, two scoreless innings. Hobie, a perfect bottom of the eighth inning. But with this Hunter Harvey thing, because I mean that was fascinating to see Davey go to him for a third consecutive game. Harvey struggled. The Nats, of course, ended up with the great walk-off win. I know you talked to him prior to this game on Friday. What did he have to say about pitching for a third consecutive day? I mean, the injury history is obvious. The concern is clear that, you know, you're overworking a guy who has this undeniable injury history. But where was he with pitching for a third consecutive day? So I was really interested to hear his side of it and, and what did he think about it and how do you feel about it? And he said a couple of things. Number one, he actually viewed it as like an important milestone in his career. He had never done it before. And that was a big deal for him, both that Davey had the faith in him to do that, but also that he felt well enough to do it. And he was adamant to say that you know he knows people will look at the result and say, oh, it must be because he was tired or he wasn't you know at 100%. And he said, no, he said he just didn't execute his pitches. Now, you know, that may be wishful thinking on his part. And maybe if he is fresh, it's a different outcome. But he really did not view the results of that game as a byproduct of the fact that it was his third straight day. He said physically he came out of it feeling fine. And he even felt better the day after than he thought he would. And, I mean, he wasn't looking to pitch another one. But he he talked about, and Davey talked about as well, that they've developed some trust between each other. And if Hunter Harvey, who has gone through plenty of injuries, he kind of knows what the warning signs are at this point. And he said if he felt something, he would speak up and he would tell him, no, I can't go. And it happened to him last year and he did go on the IL. But if not, he's going to say he's good to go and Davey's going to trust him for that. Now, I don't think this is going to be a regular thing. They're not going to let him go three nights in a row all the time. Same with Finnegan. It's a long season. You can't be doing that. But in a weird way, he tried to look at it as a positive, as this was an important step for him in his career, something he had never done before. And he kind of proved to himself that yes, his arm can hold up to that. Now let's see. You know, maybe he'll get another night off. We'll, you know, we'll see how that all goes. We'll see how he performs after all this. But even though he was upset with the result, he was happy with the way he felt and the fact that he could do it in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I think with the Davy Harvey thing, like you have to be sort of logical about this. I mean, Davey Martinez is not some sadist, okay? Like, he's not going to purposely put someone out there with the idea of, I don't care if he gets hurt, like, I have to win this game in early May, nothing else matters, right? So you got to think that the Harvey injury history was on Davey's mind when Davey had Hunter Harvey pitching for a third consecutive day. What I think, though, is so tricky is that with this guy's injury history, you know, he may know the warning signs but especially now as he's getting older, I mean, he, always, he got drafted almost 10 years ago now. You may not know when something's about to go with your body. And I think that is just is what is so dicey with him. You know, it's like you're walking a tightrope and he's pitched so well. I would be surprised if we saw this again anytime soon. I just feel like you're flirting with danger. You're asking for trouble if you do this with any kind of frequency with Harvey. I mean, if you do this with any reliever, you're really kind of asking for problems. But especially with Harvey... So I get what he was saying to you, and I, and I think there is something to that because, you know, a few years ago, Hunter Harvey pitching for a third consecutive day was unthinkable, you know, so the fact that he did it is kind of an achievement. But yeah, I just think you have to be so careful with him because, I mean, we could spend an hour talking about all of the injuries this guy has had. It, it really has been something, and he's pitched so well, you just hate to disrupt that in any way. Yeah, 100%. And he would agree, and, and I asked him, you know, if Davey had said, no, you can't do it, you know, what would you have thought? He said, I'd be disappointed, but I would understand. 
why he was treating me that way. He knows the history, of course. And I agree. I don't think this is something that's going to happen regularly. Davy is very cognizant of it. And let's also remember, it was a kind of unique set of circumstances that led to that happening, where they were in a position to win three straight games close late like that. And that's great that they're in that position. Do we think that's going to happen all the time, three straight games that they're in a position like that? Maybe not. But I'll be interested to see if and when that comes up again, is he able to hold off? And then secondly, who does he go to instead? Now, it didn't come up in this game. I was curious if they had a lead or if it was close, who would have closed? Mason Thompson, Carl Edwards Jr., would Andres Machado get into the mix at all for late innings? He has some interesting options there. But I'll be curious when that time comes, who he does go to instead. Yeah, because I think what we've seen with the bullpen is that There isn't a lot of trust in guys not named, say, Finnegan, Harvey, and Thompson. And it's going to be hard to navigate this season if you only truly trust three guys. Like, you're probably going to have to try to force some trust into some other guys. And uh, we'll kind of see where that goes. One more thing on Harvey. So, I know a lot of teams, you know, they don't just assess a pitcher from like what they're seeing. Like, there's biomechanical data that they're taking in, you know, they're monitoring things like the guy's spin rate. I'm assuming the Nats do that with their pitchers, right? That like, they're trying to gauge if a guy's fatigued before he even necessarily appears to be fatigued. Yeah, they have all kinds of information. Harvey Sharman, who is their director of medical services, was brought in several years ago specifically with that in mind, the biometrics and baseline stuff and, and being able to try to pick up potential problems before they become too big of a problem. I, I don't know specifically in this case, had they looked at numbers and said, okay, yeah, he's good to pitch today or not. I don't know if it gets that specific. But yeah, they do absolutely use that kind of information and try to make their best decisions and, as much as they can off of it. All right. So Mackenzie Gore will start game two uh, for the Nationals at the Diamondbacks on Saturday night. Remember, Gore is coming off one of his poor outings this season, that 5-1 loss to the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park this past Monday night, four runs in four innings. The start prior to that, Gore was outstanding. 4-1 win at the New York Mets on April 26th, one run in six innings, 10 strikeouts. So, you know, I, I don't know if you even call this like a bounce back start for Gore, but you know, in some ways, I guess it is. He is coming off one of his poor outings here this season. The Diamondbacks are a tricky team. Good record, positive run differential, have been excellent defensively. You know, they don't really scare you when you look at the lineup, but the Diamondbacks are actually playing pretty well. So in a lot of ways, this will be a pretty legitimate test for Mackenzie Gore on Saturday night. Yeah, I think so. There are some pretty good hitters. We saw Corbin Carroll, why they just gave him a big contract. He does look like uh, the real deal. There, What we didn't see as much in this game is they run a lot and it didn't for whatever reason come up as much here. And, you know, the, the one play we didn't talk about, the Cabert Ruiz running down the guy all the way, starting on one runner on the right side, then going around to get the other guy towards third base. Reminded me, remember the Alex Avila play that ended the game a couple of years ago? Reminded me of that. So thank God he didn't strain his calves trying to make that play. But the D-backs did not run as much as uh, maybe they're used to. And I'll be interested if they try to do that against Gore, if they have a chance or not. But it looks like a decent team. They have two really good pitchers, I think, in Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen, who the Nats are not going to see in this series. We saw them play pretty good defense in this game. And in theory, they should run a lot too. So we'll, we'll see if that changes the rest of the weekend. Yeah, Diamondbacks came into this series number three in the majors in defensive run saved. And 
even just like a moment like this, the Luis Garcia single, top of the six, a one-out single to the right center field gap. Haven Smith, the Diamondbacks right fielder, did such a good job of running into the gap to prevent that ball from going further, to prevent Garcia from turning that single into a double. Like little things like that are a part of great defense. And, you know, we saw that from the Diamondbacks on Friday night. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Email Tim Shovers, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. We have a new website, Nats chat podcast.com. You can listen to previous installments of the show. You can get yourself a Nats chat podcast t-shirt as well. You can find us on Instagram too at Nats Chat Podcast. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com for Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Jankowski leading off second. The kick and the pitch. Sliders in the dirt, and the runners caught between second and third. Avila running at him. Avila still running at him. Avila still running at him. He's going to tag him out. What a play by the Nationals catcher Alex Avila runner gets caught off second the best rundown play is when you never throw the baseball and the catcher out to the shortstop position deked and faked and eventually ran him down himself and tagged him out Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.